Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. Thanks for being here. My name's Dan, if I don't know you. And uh, if you're new here, thanks so much for being here. This is, this is going to be my last Sunday here, but I want you to know this is a church you want to be a part of. And uh, I heard that there were a few new people here, and so I know it's always kind of weird showing up when it's the pastor's last day here, but uh, I've had, I think I've had that happen before too. So, but uh, we love these people. Uh, we're, if, you, if you're new here, we, we are not from this area. We're from Wyoming originally. We've served here for 13 years, and we wouldn't have... We have no family, uh, biological family here, and so we wouldn't have been here this long if it weren't for this great church we love a lot. And so... Um, Thank you for joining us. If you have your Bible with you, please uh, turn with me to Ephesians 6, verse 21. I'm not going to say goodbye today, but I will say see you later. Uh, not only is that a, a, an easier pill to swallow, I think that that is a more accurate thing to say. Uh, goodbye, I was thinking, has a finality to it that doesn't sparkle with the hope of our future together in Jesus Christ, right? And the truth is that no matter how long we live uh, or how far apart we live on earth, we who trust in Jesus Christ will meet up again very soon in the glory of God's presence. Amen? That's our hope. And I love this. In the New Testament, the word for hope doesn't mean, well, I hope this will happen, but I'm not sure if it'll happen. Hope is more like, a better, you know, a synonym for hope in the New Testament would be anticipation. This is our anticipation. We can't wait for this to happen. Um, and this hope or anticipation that we share in Christ is the very same hope that the Apostle Paul shared with the Christians in Ephesus. And so, as Paul wraps up his letter here to the Ephesian Christians, uh, we sense their mutual love for one another, we sense their mutual love for the Lord, and their love for the gospel of hope in Jesus Christ. So let's look at this as we wrap up the book of Ephesians today, verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. So Paul concludes his letter here by sending an encouraging messenger to the Ephesians and also by praying a blessing over the Ephesians. And so let's just start by talking a little bit about this messenger, this encouraging messenger that Paul sent to them and why he did that. Well, remember that when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he was under arrest. He was in Rome under arrest for his outspoken faith in Jesus. And while he was under arrest, Paul was making the best use of his time. He was uh, making Christians where he was at. And he was also writing letters to the different churches that he had started throughout the Roman Empire. And in this case, Paul was writing to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, which was over a thousand miles away. 
um, by foot uh, in, from Rome where he was at. And in those days, Paul couldn't drop off his letter into a mailbox and uh, he couldn't t- take it to the local post office to deliver. He would need to give this letter to a very trustworthy person who would travel across seas and mountains and deserts to deliver it by hand to the Ephesians. And the man who Paul trusted to do this was a man named Tychicus. And Tychicus would deliver Paul's letter, he says, to the Ephesians, and Tychicus would tell them how Paul's doing while under arrest, and Tychicus would encourage their hearts. So obviously, Tychicus was a great help to the believers in Ephesus, and he was also a great help to Paul, who was their founding pastor. Churches need more men and women like Tychicus. Let's see how Paul describes Tychicus as one, the beloved brother, two, a faithful minister in the Lord, and three, an encourager of hearts. Many of you have been a Tychicus to me during my time, my ministry here at Cedar Home, and I can't thank you enough. You have been a gift of God's grace to me and to our church. And, and now as you prepare to search for and call your next lead pastor, <clears throat> I want you to ask yourself this year, how can I be a Tychicus to this church and to my next lead pastor? And let's talk about how you can do that as we see why Tychicus was such a blessing to Paul and to the Christians in Ephesus. First, Paul describes Tychicus as the beloved brother. So Tychicus was someone who Paul dearly loved. Tychicus wasn't just a brother, he was a beloved brother. And very likely he was dearly loved by the Christians in Ephesus also. Uh, Tychicus may have even been from Ephesus. We don't know, but um, how can you be a support like that to this church family and to your next lead pastor in such a way that both of them know you as a beloved brother or sister in the Lord? And I think the answer, as I meditated on that, is found in the middle of the word beloved. And that word is love. Paul and the Ephesians loved Tychicus because he loved them not only with his words, but he loved them by showing his love for them, by making great sacrifices for them, like traveling a thousand miles to deliver one letter to them. So how can you love this church and your next pastor really well? Well, love always starts with the heart. And so it starts with asking the Holy Spirit to fill your heart to the point of overflowing with the love of Jesus. And as your heart, as God does that, as he fills your heart with the love of Jesus, that love will naturally manifest itself through the way that you act toward one another. And we pray that God would help each one of us to increasingly become living expressions of his love. And specifically of his love as he describes it in 1 Corinthians 13 probably the most famous passage in all scripture on love. And what does 1 Corinthians uh, 13 tell us about the love of God? He says, if we were to um, contextualize this for this 
for you and for our circumstances today, you'd say this, love one another and your next pastor by being very patient. Love one another and your next pastor by showing much kindness. Love one another by not being envious or boastful. Love one another and your next pastor by not being arrogant or rude. Love one another and your next pastor by not insisting on your own way. Love one another and your next pastor by not being irritable or resentful. Love one another by not rejoicing at wrongdoing, but by rejoicing with the truth. And for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of his bride, bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Tychicus was a beloved brother, no doubt, because he really loved his brothers and sisters in Christ, and they knew it. Second, Paul describes Tychicus as a faithful minister in the Lord. And minister here isn't referring to some office. It, it means servant. He was a faithful servant in the Lord. And like our, Jesus, our, our Lord Jesus, Tychicus adopted the mindset of a servant to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He was asking, how can I serve these people? How can I serve them? And not only was Tychicus a servant, but also Paul says Tychicus was a faithful servant. Faithful here means not only loyal, but it also means trustworthy. That's really where the emphasis is in this word, in this context. Tychicus had, had likely served Paul and the Christians faithfully and consistently in different ways for so long that he proved himself to be a trustworthy, a very trustworthy servant. He was someone you could ask to do something and you wouldn't have to worry about whether that task would get done. And you wouldn't have to worry about whether that task would get done in a God-honoring way. I thank the Lord for so many of you for being faithful servants of the Lord. Local churches and their leaders desperately need more, many faithful, loyal trustworthy servants. We need servants who will serve Christ's body faithfully and consistently in different ways for so long a time that others can, testif can testify that they are loyal, trustworthy, and abounding in love. That sort of attribute is not flippantly given. That is an uh, an attribute that is given over prolonged service in ministry. As Cedarhome moves into the future, I ask that each of you would not only serve this family in different ways, but also that each of you would serve your pastor and his family faithfully. Through your actions, show your pastor and his wife that they can trust you. Your next pastor will have the privilege and great responsibility of serving 300 plus people with the love of Christ and his job will never be done. So please, instead of identifying everything that your pastor isn't doing for you and for his church, ask yourself what you can do to serve your pastor 
and his family and your church. That's the mindset of Jesus. Ask your pastor and his wife how you can pray for them. Ask the church elders and the deacons and staff, what jobs here need to get done that nobody else wants to do? Like, don't just come to the office and say, hey, I'm willing to serve this one way and, and I'm only willing to do that. If that job isn't available the way I want to do it, I'm, don't bother calling me. What we do is you say, what's the job nobody wants to do? That's what it means to be a servant. What, what ministries, what maybe would your pastors and leaders, what do, they, what do they feel called to do, but they need the church to show up to serve and to do it? Be that person who shows up. How can you give your time and your talents and your money and your property to serve your church, to serve your pastor, to serve the kingdom of God? So this week, this next year, I want you to ask this. How can I be a faithful servant, a faithful minister like Tychicus this week to my brothers and sisters at Cedar Home Baptist? Third, Paul describes Tychicus as an encourager of hearts. To encourage one another means to build up one another, to strengthen one another, to comfort one another, to cheer one another on in the faith. And Paul sent Tychicus to the Ephesians to do these things for them, to encourage their hearts, is what he says. Tychicus was an encourager. The Ephesian church was glad when Tychicus was around. And in the same way, God wants you to be an encouragement to this body. He wants you to be an encouragement to your next pastor. If you're a believer in Christ, then please work to make other people feel stronger in the Lord, not weaker. Build others up with your words and with your actions, both in what you do and in what you don't do. Try not to do anything that could tear others down. Acknowledge one another. Greet one another as Christ has greeted you in his family. Show compassion to one another. Take time to put yourself in the shoes of one another and to consider the hardships and emotions that others might be experiencing. And comfort one another as you yourself have received comfort from Jesus Christ. Over and over, I've just... In my life, I really believe that one of the ways that the Lord in his wisdom has chosen to work to encourage Christians is through other Christians. We have the same Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to the same God. We have one baptism, one savior, one word. And he will use other people to encourage you, and I pray that you would do the same for others. I thank God for all the ways that so many of you have been an encouragement to me and to Cindy and our kids during this time, uh, these past 13 years. And I ask that you as an individual will seek to be an encouragement to your next lead pastor. And I wanna share just five practical ideas, five practical ways that you can be encouragement to your next pastor. First, Love your pastor, his wife, and his kids really well. Just love them well. I'm so thankful this church has loved us well and accepted me and my wife and my kids for who we are. 
Thank you for not pressuring me or my family to fit into a mold of, of what you think we ought to be. I get it, man. I have weaknesses. I'm not perfect. I don't do everything a certain way and your next pastor is going to be different. He's going to have his own strengths and weaknesses too. And don't say, well, he's not Dan. Say, man, this person has gifts and strengths that Dan doesn't have. And it's cool that we get to be on the journey with him and encourage his wife and, and his family and, and see where God's leading us in this new season with this person. Thank you for letting Cindy serve in her areas of giftedness and for not asking more from her than she can give. Thank you so much for not labeling my kids as pastor's kids or treating them differently than other kids. I am so thankful that at Cedar Home, my kids have had a very positive impression of the local church. That's huge for us. Thank you for forgiving me when I've offended you or for when I've sinned against you. Thank you for trusting me and the elders when we've had to make difficult decisions. Thank you for helping me and my family with our physical needs. Thank you for working on our vehicles and cleaning the moss off our roof to save us money. And thank you for letting me borrow your trucks and for giving us appliances and for giving us food. Those are all huge ways that you can bless your next pastor too. Second, pray for your pastor, his wife, and their kids. Um, your next pastor will face many challenges in the spiritual world and in the physical world. He will be strongly opposed by spiritual powers and by people. And most of the time you'll never know it because he can't tell you about it. He, his wife, and his kids need your prayers. So please pray often for spiritual protection, for courage, and for peace for him and for his family. Third, uh, be mindful of your pastor's mind on Sundays and on his day off. Be mindful of your pastor's mind on Sundays and on his day off. I imagine for most of you, hopefully Sunday worship with the church is often something you look forward to in a time of spiritual refreshment. Um, for your pastor, Sunday mornings are often a time of spiritual battle, of intense preparation, intense prayer. Just please be mindful of that for your next pastor. Sundays are not a good time to share criticism with your pastor or to, be in, to get him involved in an interpersonal conflict. If you come on Sunday and you do have something urgent to discuss, this is why we have a team of leaders. Please talk to one of the other elders about it. Instead, Sunday mornings are the perfect time to pray for your pastor, to pray for the service, and to, to, if you see your pastor, to strengthen him with words and to tell him thank you. Also, be understanding about your pastor's need to take a day off in the week and to shut off his phone. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means he's a person and he needs a day to refuel and a day to be with his family and a day not to talk about church stuff. Fourth, encourage your pastor with your words. Your pastor will have to deal with lots of problems. Your next pastor is gonna receive a lot of criticism. Regularly write him encouraging notes or texts. Leave encouraging voicemails for him. 
Help him see how God is working in him, how God is using him to help you and to help the church. That will be a great strength to him. Fifth, finally, this might be one of the most important lessons, and I've said this even before I was lead pastor. Be a peacemaker among God's people. Some of the most wearying work for your pastor will be conflict resolution. And the more that you can do as an individual to resolve interpersonal conflicts without getting your pastor involved, the better. Now some very serious situations do call for your pastor's intervention, but most interpersonal conflicts don't fall into that category. Always come back to Jesus' instructions in Matthew 18, 15 to 17 as your default way of resolving conflicts with one another. Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We praise God that in that last scenario, that's a rare scenario, but it does happen. Um, But as for you and your role, the more that you can educate yourself about how to be a peacemaker in the church, the greater encouragement you will be to this church and to your next pastor. Ken Sandy is an author who writes excellent books about how to be a peacemaker in your church. And I, he's kind of my go-to person. It's S-A-N-D-E, S-A-N-D-E, Ken Sandy. He's got lots of books about how to be a peacemaker. Read those books. Learn how to put out brush fires in the church before they grow into something bigger. Be that person who will not fuel the fire, but who will put the fire out. Learn how to meet face-to-face in a timely manner to resolve problems rather than writing long texts or long emails. God is so pleased when there is peace among his people, right? He's so, this is is the other thing, he's so pleased with those who help peace be maintained among his people. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not the dividers. There's a lot of dividers. Blessed are the peacemakers, the reconcilers. And so I pray that uh, we would all seek to live out these admirable qualities that Paul commends in Tychicus Uh, I pray that you will seek to be an encourager of hearts, a faithful servant in the Lord, and a beloved brother or sister in Christ. And now let's move on to Paul's prayer of blessing in the last few verses for the Ephesians. In verse 23, the apostle Paul, who is speaking on behalf of God as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, prays again for peace in the Ephesian church. And he prays for love with faith. So let's look at those one at a time. There is so much dividing people in this world and in our country right now. But may there be unity and peace in Jesus' church, among his people. When we sin against each other, 
Let's confess our sin to each other and ask for forgiveness and then repent of that sin. When we are sinned against each other or offended by one another, let's remember how much Jesus has forgiven us and let's forgive as we've been forgiven by God. When hidden sin comes to light, let's seek to restore one another rather than to destroy one another. Our Lord Jesus Christ has given us peace with God the Father by laying down his life for our sins so that we could have peace. And if we've trusted in Jesus, then his Holy Spirit fills us and gives us the peace of God in our hearts. And so, may we not only be partakers of the peace of God, but may we also be extenders of the peace of God, givers of the peace of God. And then Paul prays that God would grant us love with faith. I thought it was interesting that he didn't just kind of put a comma there and put love, comma, faith. Why did he connect those words with with? And I think the reason that Paul does that is because Christian love must never be separated from the truths in which we put our faith. Many, see, in other words, many Christians prize correct doctrine, which is good. But their Christianity is limited to their minds and they do not live out the love of Christ from their hearts and in their lives. Other Christians prize love so highly that they separate the concept of love from God's definition of love in his word. And so they make the mistake of equating universal tolerance of all things with the love of Christ. The correct way to exercise love and faith is to keep them together always. We want to love with the true love of God. And we want to know and share the truth of God with the kind, gracious love of Christ. God wants this church and every church to be known for both. And moving on to verse 24, Paul prays for grace for the church. In this word grace, Paul's talked a lot about it in this letter. Again, God's grace is the undeserved favor that he shows us. His undeserved favor that he shows us. It is also often used, grace is also often used to refer to God's undeserved strength that he gives us. The help that he gives us. And again, eternal life in Jesus Christ is all about grace, right? It's entirely a gift of God's grace to us. We have not earned it, we cannot earn it, we cannot add to it, we can only receive it by trusting in Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is the Lord, amen? We believe that Jesus Christ fully God, fully man, suffered and died as a substitute for sinners in order to adopt us into God's family to bless us forever. We believe that after three days, Jesus' cold, dead body rose physically from the ground in a warm, living, heart-beating body for his eternal vindication and for our eternal justification in God's sight. We believe that Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, sat down 
at the right hand of God because he finished the work God gave him to do. We believe that Jesus is ruling over every detail, election, circumstance of humanity right now and he's coming back to judge the world soon. And we believe that that's the best news ever for those who love Jesus. We believe for, the, for those who put their trust in Christ, there is no condemnation for them now, but only God's blessing now and forever. And we believe that Jesus makes sinful people, messed up people, people who have rebelled against God. Jesus makes them born again, and he shows them grace and gives them eternal life. Turn to Jesus today if you haven't and put your trust in Jesus. You don't have to look forward to the, f- listen, you, I won't go off, but I'll just say this. It doesn't take a genius to see our world is broken and not going in a good direction. Jesus, and this, but this is the thing. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. And so, you have to face your own death and you have to face the end of this world one way or another. And either you can know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and face your death and the end of this world with confidence that glory is coming that surpasses every suffering in this life. Or you can live in fear as much of humanity has. And you should live in fear because God is holy and he is just and he will bring justice. But you don't have to be afraid if you trust in Jesus because he is both the judge and the attorney for those of us in Christ. He is the one who declares us not guilty and you need the Lord. You need the Lord if you don't know him. So, you know, the apostle Peter, I mean, what did they, they, after he preached that same message to people in Jerusalem, they said, well, what should I do? He said, repent and be baptized. Repent, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus and trust in him and be baptized as a declaration that you're a follower of Jesus now and you trust in him with all that you are. Now, um, here in verse 24, Paul's praying that this reigning Lord, our reigning Lord Jesus would give us grace right now as we seek to love him, as we seek to, 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 to love one another, as we seek to finish the mission he's given us on this earth to proclaim the gospel to all nations. So one thing that's important to see here is when you read the Bible, you have to consider the original context. You have to know the audience he's talking to. Paul is not praying here for all people of the earth. He's praying for the church. And he says, grace be to the church here. Not that God isn't gracious to all humanity, he is. But he's praying specifically for the adopted sons and daughters of God. Now what is the beautiful evidence of grace that Paul talks about here that signifies that we are God's sons and daughters? that we love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. 
this is a great word, okay? This word means immortal, invincible, and never-ending, okay? This is the evidence that we love the Lord, that we belong to him. So how do you love God like that? Because that's, I read that, and that's, a, that's an intimidating love. I'm like, I don't know if I love the Lord enough, okay? I don't love the Lord enough, I can tell you that, and I'm thankful I'm not saved because I've loved the Lord enough. You can't manufacture invincible, immortal, never-ending, incorruptible love on your own. That kind of love for God only comes from God. Now, I was thinking about this. One of my favorite songs uh, by the late Keith Green is, you put this love in my heart. You, God, put this love in my heart for you. You, God, put this love in my heart for your glory and for your kingdom, which I didn't care about before. You, God, put this love in my heart for people who don't know you, and I want them to know you. You put this love in my heart, Lord. The evidence that we belong to the Lord is that we love him and we will love him forever with a love that will never die. We will endure trials and terrors in this life, but God promises he will never take his love away from us in Jesus Christ. And this is the other wonderfully gracious thing we know. He is the author and finisher of our faith. So God will sustain in us our love for him. Our faith in him. Our salvation, our love for the Lord, our desire to see Christ glorified here in all around the world is entirely the gracious work of the Lord in us from start to finish. May God be glorified in you as you love him with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for peace for my brothers and sisters. I pray for love incorruptible for all of us, that we would love you with the love that you put in our hearts, that you'd give us that love. I pray for faith for this church. I pray for unswerving commitment to the truth of your word here. And I pray that you would use this church, these people who you have called, appointed, and placed at this time and place for this season, I pray that you would use these people to save and to sanctify many, many souls in this community until you return. Amen. Amen. All right. Love you guys so much. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. <clears throat>